glued the pages together. Here we go. Well, I just met Russ. Just talked with him for the first time this week, and he is one of the guest speakers at the Holy Spirit Conference. And uh, let me just do a little bio here. Russ has a BA in Biblical Studies from Central Bible College, is married to Carrie Hurst. Carrie is the Assistant Director of Convoy, uh, uh, Convoy of Hope Women. Carrie and Russ have two children, and it says here that you have you gave them nicknames. Okay, Nitro and Glycerin. <laughs> so... Yeah, so he's, he's used to quakes, okay. All right, uh, Russ has uh, lived and ministered, traveled to 47 countries, 32 states. He's been a pastor and a missionary. And uh, Convoy of Hope, how many of you are familiar with Convoy of Hope? Okay, you are the director? Deputy VP. Everything International with Convoy of Hope. So that's a, an extension of the Assemblies of God and, and meeting needs around the world. And so um, it's an awesome, I mean, it's blessed many, many, it's blessed our nation and many other nations also. So so uh, I am excited to hear from you this morning. And uh, come on up here. I'll get my stuff out of the way. I'll turn it over to you. I'm a hugger. I hope that's okay. And uh, I'm not just saying this, you know, you've heard my background a little bit. Um, being as many countries as I've been, and being in as many states as I've been, and being in the thousand plus churches I've probably been in my life, it gives you perspective. And uh, I love the spirit of your pastor. Uh, he just has a great spirit. And I was like, I like that drummer. He's worshiping while he's drumming. And sure enough, the son of the pastor. And, uh, you know, and there is that spitting image aspect, but something that, you know, you know, goes beyond DNA, but, you know, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. And uh, I love what I'm sensing in this church. Honestly, in some ways, I wish I wasn't preaching. I could have kept worshiping. I was just sensing the presence of God. Uh, I came hungry today, too. You know, I want more of God, too. Um, I want to be a part of this Holy Spirit conference and be a blessing, but I want to be blessed. Can I hear amen? We come to bless the Lord, but when you draw close to the Lord, he draws near to you. You can't help but to experience the love of God, and that's why I loved your pastor just saying, hey, let's take another few more minutes, and let's just worship God. Let's enter in. And so many times we wait too long to get the very thing that we need from God, which is that fresh touch, that fresh experience of his love within us, not just around us. Amen? Uh, so you know my background. You kind of know what I do, but I'm really not here to speak on behalf of Convoy of Hope. I'm here uh, because of this Holy Spirit conference, and uh, I think you guys got handed these out. Wave these to me if you've got it. Um, I just want to encourage you. Uh, some of you can't come during the day because you got work. I've got, I, I get that. Uh, my own church that I'm a part of at home when I'm not traveling and speaking and doing stuff around the world. Uh, we're doing our week of prayer and fasting just to seek God, my pastor friend, same week. And uh, they're just like more of Jesus. We just want to fall in love more with Jesus. And I want to encourage you, you cannot do anything. You cannot grow in your faith without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible because the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us. The Holy Spirit is the one that leads us into all righteousness. The Holy Spirit is the one that reveals Christ to us. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us God's glory. We cannot grow in the Lord without more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I'm going to be speaking on that, 
but I just want to encourage you. Uh, man, you got some great speakers here. Jason Friend's a phenomenal preacher. Uh, you got uh, Michelle Welburn, who you don't know, but her father, uh, she was raised in a great family like your pastor's giving to his family. Uh, the woman knows the present, this presence and the spirit of God. She's actually at Pastor Kent Redfern's church uh, this morning speaking. I've known her since she was a 15-year-old, a dynamic woman of God, but merely vessels. I want to encourage you, go. It's free. How many times we will pay 50 bucks for something, but when it's free, we devalue it. And instead, the gospel is free. Salvation is free. The Holy Spirit is free. And I appreciate Pastor Kent Redford and his church doing all of this for free to make it accessible that no one misses out. So please do not devalue this. Uh, even if I wasn't speaking, if somebody gave me a free ticket, I would have come up here to be a part of this because my dad, who's a well-known preacher, travels around the world. Everybody knows my father. You know, even Karen knew. I didn't want to say it, but I assumed you're her son. I also live in deep shadows. I know what it's like. My, my dad says this is the only church that he knows of in the United States that has a yearly conference on the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us. And people think Anchorage is way out in the middle of nowhere. Alaska's middle of nowhere. You're at the epicenter. Not of the earthquake, by the way. <laughs> but a Holy Spirit conference. And I wanted to give a couple minutes just to inspire you and motivate you. Come and drink from the well of God. Come and just be marinating in the presence of the Spirit and to get more of God. I'm here to get more. Amen? Not just to be a blessing, but to be a blessing, to be blessed as well. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Joel chapter 2. Hold your finger there. And I really want to talk about this morning the exciting, satisfying, we've ever been talking about it, and life-transforming relationship that we get to have with God through the Holy Spirit of living a spirit, say the word with me, filled Life, filled life into the full, that we're not just tiptoeing, we're not just on the precipice, we're not just sipping, but that we are full and going all in. The if I have a title of my message, it's all in. Amen. That we are full of God. Now when you think of full, what do you also think of? Empty, right? Being hungry is horrible, but being full is fantastic, you know what I'm talking about? When you're full, it's just like, mm, good. Good empanada, whatever that comedian's name is. You're just like, it's almost like you're holding your, for men, we're just holding our babies when we're full. It's like, I don't even have to think of it for a while, right? But when you're hungry, you can't help but think of anything else, right? When you're not hungry, you're like, I'll have a Cobb salad and some vinaigrette. But when you're hungry, you're like, take me to Panera. I'm buying everything. I want heavy, thick carbs. I don't need desserts. I want thick, heavy bread. It needs to have substance to it. You know, 27 grain, whatever it is. I don't even need butter. You know how I know this? Because I started fasting and I also started dieting. Some, you know what? Uh, dieting without prayer is, you know, fasting without uh, prayer is just dieting. So I did a little bit of both and I knocked the carbs out and I was literally ready to eat my arm when I was hungry. <laughs> and you want substance. <laughs> And what's worse than being hungry is being thirsty. Yeah. You ever been thirsty? When you're not thirsty, you're like, I'll have tea. I'll have a Diet Coke. But when you're thirsty, you're like, give me that horse trough full of water. Until you're satisfied. You know, the body has a thirst mechanism. Many years ago, I read an article on this. And I actually blame it for my weight problem. Uh, I've always had a weight problem. and My son got my wife's genetics. Some of you know that. Praise God. 
And, uh, but I always struggled with my weight. I mean, I look at food, I gain weight. And I read this article, and they said that 40% of Americans' thirst mechanism is not functioning properly. That there are times that we are thirsty, and we eat more food rather than getting a drink. 40% of us have this when you're actually thirsty. You're, have you ever found yourself eating something, and you're not even hungry? You're not even wanting it, but you're eating more, and you don't know why? The vast majority of times it's because you're actually thirsty and your body's trying to get the liquid from that, from the food rather than going to get a drink. And I've traveled around the world like you've heard, and I've been to a thousand, probably a thousand churches in my life. I don't know how many, I haven't counted at all, but I've been to a lot of places and seen a lot of things. And I can say it's even sadder in the United States than it is worldwide. But I see that there is a hunger and a thirst in American Christians and they don't even realize it. Or there's a quiet dissatisfaction in their faith. They have a relationship with Jesus. They're hearing God's word. They're doing their devotions. They're serving in ministry. They're doing all the things that they're supposed to be doing, but there's still a want for more. But the problem here is, is we have options. Or as I say, distractions. And we constantly, whether it's food or whether it's social media, whether it's movies or, or whatever it is, we're constantly looking for that thing and we can have the Lord, but we're still wanting more and we don't know why. And I'm here to tell you why. Because we need more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our spiritual thirst mechanism is, isn't firing properly. And there's only one thing. And some of you are like, there's something missing in my life and I don't know why. It's because you're not full. You're thirsty. And God wants to fill us full of the Holy Spirit. But some of us, we know what it functionally is, but we avoid it. Because we're not sure what's going to happen when God fills us. We want that adventurous life. We want that faithful life. We want to change the world. We want God to use us in great ways. And we know we need his help. We know we need his empowerment. But yet we're a little bit tentative because we don't know what it's going to be like on the threshold when he fills you full of his Holy Spirit. See, because if you're in Jesus Christ, his spirit resides within you. But there is a subsequent work. There is more that he wants to give. As a matter of fact, it's not a one-time thing. You know that scripture where it says, be filled with the Spirit? You know, you've heard that before? In the Greek, it's a linear tense. It doesn't mean one time. Filled sounds like it's a one-time event. In the English, it doesn't get it right. In the Greek, it's a linear tense. It means keep on being filled with the Spirit. Look at the book of Acts, and it says, and again, they were filled with the Spirit. And again, they were filled with the Spirit. Why? Because this world just sucks it out of you, doesn't it? You begin to leak. That's like, God's like, you know, what is it? Uh, Pringles. Don't eat all you want. We'll make more. Or is it Doritos? Whatever. Drink all you want. There is a never-ending stream of the presence and the glory and the nature and the power and everything that we need and the satisfaction and intimacy by his spirit, and it never stops flowing. And you don't have to pay for it. It's free. You simply just need to seek him and receive it. Now, I haven't even jumped into it. I'm going to start laying a foundation, but I want you to know where we're going because I want you to acknowledge that thirst mechanism. And I can see in some of your faces, you're already there. If I give an altar call and it's not me, but if I gave the chance right now, you're ready. And I want you just to dig into God's word and to be strengthened in his promise. And we're going to take that time in the end. Are you ready? Joel chapter two, verse 26. Here's the promise. Of the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, God's speaking to Israel during the time of the minor prophets. It's a difficult time. The people are, it's a time of want physically. It's a time of want spiritually. And God gives them this great promise. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. And never again will my people be shamed. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on, say it with me, all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in all days. And he's saying for everyone, he's saying for you. For sons and daughters, he's saying it for your kids. For old men, old women, he's saying it for them too. Well, who's old? Anybody older than you are, right? (laughs) My kids see me as ancient. I'm 46. I'm feeling old, but I'm like, anybody that's 47 and above is old. (laughs) What he's saying is all-encompassing. It's not just reserved for men. This was revolutionary back in those days. That God's going to pour out his spirit Literally on all flesh. And he's promising them, you have physical want. There's coming a time where I'm going to meet all of your needs, as the pastor talked about. It's a promise. But more importantly, I'm going to meet all of your spiritual needs, and you will be satisfied. Now, before the book of Joel, the Holy Spirit, as you see the revelation throughout Scripture, it's a unique relationship. The Holy Spirit only came upon certain people. And if you remember all the Sunday school stories, we focused on those certain people. Like Samson. You know, you think about Samson. The Holy Spirit's power came on Samson. We like the real strong physical stuff. But the Holy Spirit also came on Deborah. Remember, one of my favorite people in the book of Judges. And she became a leader. And she began to prophesy. And she began to lead the people of Israel during the time. The, the, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. When he was grossly insecure and the least in his family, the least in his clan, the least in all of Israel had no value, but the Lord called him a warrior. And again and again, you see that there was only a special, what we call dispensing of the Holy Spirit on certain individuals, Elijah, David, I could go down the list, but it was only for a few. But again and again, you see how they transformed from either nobodies into somebodies or, or people that were weak into somebody that was strong, whatever. And it always is the same phrase again and again. What made them great wasn't themselves. What made them great was this phrase. And the spirit of the Lord came upon them. And every time you see a transition that they become something incredibly new, something beautiful, something powerful, something useful for the Lord. But here's the problem. At the time of Joel, where was the presence, where was the glory of God? In the Holy of Holies, or in the tabernacle, behind a curtain. The glory of God was in the Ark of the Covenant, the box. And where were the people? They were at a distance. God's presence was there, and nobody could access it except the high priest once a year. And when he went in, he went in in fear, with a rope around his ankle, bells, so they could hear him, because if he had any sin in his life, he was struck dead in the presence of a holy God. Serious stuff. But when you're right with God and he gives you his presence, it's incredible. But people didn't understand that aspect. God was always there and only for a few. And Joel is revolutionizing everything. And he's saying, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon everyone. Moses, 
you know, the people, they, his leaders would come and say, Moses, don't, don't let them prophesy. They're prophesying. You're supposed to be the mouth, the mouth of Israel. But Moses, understanding the presence of God and understanding the dispensation of the sense of the presence of God, says, no, 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 no. I wished everybody would prophesy. I wished everybody was experiencing what I'm, I'm experiencing. Because when you have the presence of the Holy Spirit active in your life, you can't help but want to see other people with that satisfaction and that strength and that peace and that joy. Can I hear an amen? amen? And such, there is this longing, there is this hunger for more of God. Where are you, God? And he's saying, trust me, pretty soon, all your physical needs are going to be met. But later on, what? We don't want to wait. We want it now. Later on, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And what had to happen? But Jesus, you're already there. You're doing a good job, Pastor. And Jesus paid the price for all of our sins. But in one of the Gospels... When he gave up his spirit and paid the price, an act of God himself ripped the curtain of the Holy of Holies. Read it. It's in the Bible. Ripped it from top to bottom. I mean, a huge, thick curtain, solid piece, impossible. Ripped it in half. Because Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is with you, but soon he will be in you. And we will be the temples. We will be the holy holies. Come on, people. Are you getting excited about what you already are, what you already have? We just need to give the Lord praise and opportunity. And Jesus was like, I know you. But when that curtain ripped, he's like, and I want you to know me. And it's only possible by the presence and the beauty of the Holy Spirit. See, but here's the point. For millennia, people had misunderstood who the Holy Spirit was. They thought it was the soul, or the, just the nature, or just the power, some substance, or some thing. And what they didn't understand was that the Holy Spirit was a person. Because, you know, we have that phrase, the Holy Ghost. You know, that kind of freaks people out. The Holy Ghost. Now, if you're in that generation, that's okay, that connotation. But it scares you off a little bit, doesn't it? Father, we understand. Son, we understand. You know, freaks us out. I was raised in it. still freaked me out. Because I didn't understand it. But it's the third person of the Godhead. And how do you know what the Holy Spirit is like? Look at one of his names. He's the Spirit of Christ. Right? He's a direct reflection of Jesus, so much so that he's called the Spirit of Christ. People are like, to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. A direct reflection. Now, they don't look the same, but spitting image. Your pastor and his son, same spirit. If you saw my kids, my son is my wife with my face. And her metabolism, too. He's skinny. He's like the skinny Russ. And my daughter is my face, and praise God, also her mom's body, but in character, in nature, in personality. I mean, my parents are dying laughing every time they see her. They're like, she's just a little female version of you. The spitting image, but completely a different person. When I was a missionary kid, my dad was dedicating this uh, property for this uh, church plant in this village in Samoa. It's village, rural, you know, middle of nowhere, huts. And they had a sand pile because that's what they used. Uh, I, I can't go into the details of it, but they had this huge sand pile that was going to help with the property and where they're going to build the church and all this stuff. And my dad is doing this prayer. And while he was doing this prayer, I was dancing on the sand pile. I was doing a hula. I was a little kid, right? 
And so my dad's praying God's presence and protection and blessing and all this stuff over this place. And nobody's listening to my dad or his prayer. They're all looking at the missionary kid dancing on the sand pile. And the village chief said to my dad, something in Samoan, like, I don't know how to say it, but basically the big red rooster with the big red crown has a little red rooster with a little red crown. (laughs) You can't be mad at him because he's just like you. (laughs) So we should, amen. So we should never be afraid of or fear the Holy Spirit because however you see Jesus being, that's the Holy Spirit. However you see the Father being, that's the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't do one miracle without the Holy Spirit. There's not one miracle that's taken place. Even in Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit was part of creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God, capital S, person, Spirit of God, was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And if Jesus and the Father are in heaven, and God or Jesus is speaking the word, well, who's the one doing the work? It says the Holy Spirit was hovering over the faces of the water. There's a Hebrew word, that, that hovering word is merah. Merapet. It means to brood over, to hover over, to cherish. It was a a Hebrew word used like when an eagle mother is over her chicks or a mother hen is getting ready to lay eggs. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the water and the power and the beauty of creation happened through the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't do one miracle, remember this, without the Holy Spirit coming upon him and power. They work in unison, in conjunction, as a team. They're three persons, yet they're God. But wherever you see the Spirit of God, there is life, there's empowerment, there's transformation, there is revelation. Look at this, Genesis chapter 41, verse 37. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked him, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the spirit of God. Transformation that he wasn't just some prisoner, but he could interpret dreams, see dreams and interpret dreams that he never even had or was even told because of the transformation or empowerment of the spirit. Psalms 104 verse 30. When you send your spirit, capital S, the person of the spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth that everywhere the spirit is, there is life. Exodus chapter 31 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge, and all kinds kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for works in gold, silver, bronze, and on and on and on. And instantly, this guy named Bezalel that was just, you know, I got some artistic ability, was filled with the Holy Spirit and was able to work with metals that they didn't know how to do that for hundreds, if not thousand years to the artistic ability because he was empowered. He was enabled. He, his, some of you have talents and abilities, or even you don't even have talents that God hasn't even given you yet, but he wants to bring them to life. He wants to anoint them. He wants to sharpen them. He wants to release them. But you cannot do it in a divine way, the way God has designed, which is beyond our abilities, without the Holy Spirit. And then once again, you see Moses saying, I wish that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. So then Jesus dies on the cross. The curtain is ripped from top to bottom. 
He gives them Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. He says, go make disciples of all nations. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, making all of them followers of Christ. Bring them into the family. Oh yeah, we're ready to do it, Jesus. We can do it. He goes, but wait. Don't go. He says, wait, go, but don't grow. We're ready, but stop. <laughs> kind of seems like he should have said that after the fact, right? He says, wait in, in the city until you've been empowered. Listen to this. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of the, my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, before this, Jesus had already breathed the Spirit upon his disciples. So the Spirit of God was already in them. They were saved. They had relationship. The Spirit of God was in them. He says, but you know what? You need to be full of me. I'm going to explain it later. That's what this is all about. But wait until you've been filled with power from on high. That word power in the Greek is dunamis. Where, what, what word did we get out of dunamis? Jimmy Walker. Dynamite! Those of you that are under the age of 40, you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Nitroglycerin, my kids, dynamite. Boom. Aftershock. Boom. When we think dunamis, we think power, we think explosive power, strength. But that's not what the word means. The word dunamis, if it's translated in English, the best word is actually ability. You will receive ability. Now, ability doesn't sound as exciting as dynamite or power. But if you really think about it, it's even better. You will receive ability. Well, what does that mean? Well, what do you need to do? What are you lacking? What are you not able to do? What do you need ability to do? You'll receive ability. Well, I need faith. He can give you faith. Well, I need strength. He can give you strength. I need wisdom. He can give you wisdom. I need talent ability. He can give you talent ability. What do you need to be able to do? The Holy Spirit will give you the ability. It is all-encompassing. He will meet every single areas of where your lack is for what he's called you to do. You will be equipped. You will be resourced. You, why? Because it's not something. You know, the Holy Spirit is not limited to how many years you've been serving the Lord. He is not two years in the Lord. It, like some of you that are newer Christians, he's not 20 years. He's the same Holy Spirit that always been, always will be. The same Holy Spirit that caused stars to come, trillions of stars and galaxies. He's limitless. And only we are limited by our inability or our cho choice not to let him give us the fullness of himself. So what did they do? They waited. They sought God. And they did exactly what Jesus told them to. And you guys have heard this before. Because I can tell a church like this, you guys have heard this by the way you're acting. You've been taught this. But as they waited, as they hungered and thirst, as they prepared themselves, the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest in each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were all in seeking God together. They were all in in receiving the promise that God had given, which was himself. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when you and I think of baptism of the Holy Spirit, what do we think? <laughs> baptism in water, right? Dunk in, dunk out. 
And if you've done it in a baptismal tank, you're blessed. Some of you, you do it in Alaska, you could probably do it a brutal way. <laughs> like in a 35-degree river. I did it in a creek full of gravel that we thought was deeper before we drove 45 minutes out there. And it was like this deep. And my dad cranked me back. And I mean, I thought my kneecaps were going to rip off. Literally. And I mean, gravel in my shins. And I pop back up because I'm going to have to do it again, son. I go, ha ha, funny, dad. Ha ha. Because I was in serious pain under the water. He goes, no, there's a dry spot in your shirt. Because we believe in immersion. You know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Baptism is you go in, you come out. But can I tell you, that's not what that means. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have to do baptism of water like this because if we did it the way the Greek's talking about it, we would all die. You know what baptism means? The Greek word is baptizo. It means to be immersed. It means to be plunged. It means to be stained or dyed, D-Y-E-D, like a shirt. The best word is it means to be pickled. (laughs) It means that you are plunged And you don't come out again. You stay there. And God permeates you. See, if we did that with water, the church would never grow. (laughs) Baptism means you're going to heaven and hope the cops don't catch us. When he says baptizoed, he means you need to be immersed. You need to be saturated. You need to be pickled with the presence of God. God created, look at the first four chapters of Genesis. God created us to be in his presence. God created us to have an ebb and flow, love relationship. Nothing between us, him with us and us with him. Nothing separating us until sin came. God created all of us to be like this sponge. This is part of a real sponge. The real one, this is part of it. I couldn't get the real one all the way in. I had to make a smaller one. But we were created like this sponge. It's a cellular animal. It was created to live on a reef. It was created to live underwater and be saturated by that seawater. And the nutrients in that seawater would ebb and flow with the tides. And that's how the sponge is fed. But sin is what separated us from God. Right? And you know what it's like when you came to know Jesus Christ... The Spirit of God comes into your life, and you can sense His presence. You can feel His presence. You have His presence. But the question is, is are you full? I only put it in there just a little bit. Yeah, the Spirit of God's there. But what about the other side? See, our lives are complicated. We have spiritual doors and compartments. And God wants to be in every part of who we are. And to be baptizoed means you are plunged, you are immersed. Sometimes God has to squeeze us a little bit. And we're supposed to stay there. Never to be separated again. And he fills every pore. And every circumstance... And every relationship, and every insecurity, and every dry spot. You know what I'm talking about. God, you're in my life. I'll do anything. You can have any part of me. I want this. Well, not that. Not yet. But I want this. 
begins to work in his grace and his love, and we give him areas of our life. But there are some places, don't go in the attic. Don't go in the basement. Don't go in the fruit cellar. And that's where we're dry. And that's where we're weak. There's a story I heard once that is an analysis of this, and I'm going to close. I have a lot I could say, but... There's this guy called the ugliest man. Not a true story. (laughs) But he was the ugliest man on the earth. And the ugliest man was tormented by the villagers. And the ugliest man was afraid to go out in public. And the ugliest man lived in a house. And the kids of the town would come and throw rocks at his house. And they would yell at him. And if he ever went out into public, the kid, little children would see him and they'd begin to cry. And the mothers would hide them behind them. And people were distrustful of him. They didn't understand him. They made judgments on him. So he ended up isolating himself inside his house. And the kids would come and torment there was one person he had contact with and it was the local kid that worked at the grocery store and he would bring the groceries to this guy. Knock the door and exchange groceries, exchange money and that's how the guy lived. And One day, the mask maker came to town. The mask maker came to town and he was the greatest mask maker in all the world and world renowned and he came to town and the boy who was delivering groceries had a heart for this man because he had had small conversations and had pity on him and he decided to tell this man that the mask maker has come to our town. Would you like him to come to you? And he was apprehensive at first. But he was so desperate to live life freely and to the full that he said, yes, please send him. And the mask maker came to his house. And he welcomed him in, and the mask maker saw him. But he didn't have the reactions like everybody else. He saw him as a person, treated him with love, treated him with respect. He says, may I? The man said, yes, you may. And so the mask maker began to work, began to shape, and began to use all of his talents and abilities to make this beautiful mask. Tied it on his face. And he looked in the mirror. He's no longer ugly. He was beautiful. It took him a few weeks before he was willing to finally venture out, and he ventured out. And people didn't treat him the same. Babies didn't, little kids didn't cry. Some of the teenagers, we still know who you are, you know, teenagers. Began to have friendships, began to have conversations, and pretty soon people forgot about the mask. And he lived a life like everybody else in the town and was loved and had friends. And much, much later, many years later, he died. And his friends gathered around him, lamenting, telling stories, mourning. And as they were preparing him, they had forgotten about the mask. And they realized, oh, there's a mask there. We probably shouldn't bury him with the mask. Do you even remember what he looked like? I don't remember what he looked like. They began to try to pull the mask off, but it had adhered so much to his skin. It was difficult. And they began to peel, and they began to pull, and they began to peel, and they began to pull. And as they pulled his mask off, they were shocked. They were in tears because he was no longer ugly. He was beautiful. And his face had conformed to the mask. When you come to know Jesus Christ, 
He covers you with his righteousness. And God the Father cannot and does not see the ugliness and the weakness of who we are. He only sees Jesus in our lives. And God's word says you can come boldly before the Father in his throne because the righteousness, the beauty, the holiness of Christ is covering you. But he's also doing a work in every one of our lives. We're slowly but surely as we remain in him and he remains in us. He's slowly transforming us to be like him. And it only happens when you spend time in his presence. It only happens when you spend time in his word. It only spends time when you're in worship, when you're engaging. It only happens when you allow God to come into every area of your life into every single door but when you're hungry what do you have to do you have to eat and when you're thirsty what do you have to do you have to drink Jesus one of my favorite scriptures as he knows what's going to happen and he knows what he's going to do in John chapter 7 it says on the last and greatest day of the feast Jesus stood and said in a loud voice and very rarely do you see Jesus shouting he doesn't need to shout but there was a passion in his voice and he said in a loud voice if anyone is thirsty are you thirsty? because anyone means you if anyone is thirsty Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this, he meant the Spirit. There's another scripture. As I come to a close, you know where I'm going. Matter of fact, you can stand. Almost done. There's another scripture. And the prophet sees the river of God coming from his throne. You know what I'm talking about? And he sees the living water. He sees the streams of the glory and the nature and who God is as a river. And he comes up to it and it becomes this huge river. And he says, come deeper. And he goes and he touches his tippy toes in the water. And he says, go deeper. And he goes to his ankles. And the Spirit of the Lord says, goes deeper. And he goes to his knees. And then he goes deeper. And then the Spirit says, come to your hips. He goes deeper. And he's trying to get him in the middle. Because the middle is not where you're supporting yourself. The middle is where God is supporting you. And you're not controlling this interaction. You've released yourself in trust and love to be fully immersed, to be fully baptized in the presence of God. And it's wherever, God, you say that I need to go. God, it's whatever room you want to go to in my spiritual house. God, it's for whatever need that you want to meet. But we have to trust Him. God will not force you. You. He beckons you. He loves you. He embraces you and just says, Go deeper. I want to challenge you. Some of you have been tipping your toes. You need to go deeper. Some of you have been waist deep for how many years? You need to go deeper. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about, but you've pulled back because of some hurt, some insecurity. God didn't do what you wanted, how He wanted. Folks, I've been there how many times? 
there is a freedom where you say, I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And you die to yourself and you release yourself into the trusting, loving arms in the presence of God. So right now, how thirsty are you?